Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world. The way it was and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 40, Skyway and Swan Boats. So we'll be taking you back to the time when you could uh, cruise around the, the plaza area in the Magic Kingdom and also take to the air between Tomorrowland and Fantasyland. But before I get to that, let's introduce everybody as always. Mr. J.T. Couser, how you doing tonight? I am just dandy. Here in Ohio, it's hot out. We're we're digging it finally. It's we're we're doing good. It's almost summer yeah. break officially. Yeah, you'll be out before you know it. Yes. Uh Mr. Brian P. Miles from Philadelphia. How you doing tonight, Brian? It's a fine how do you do, as my father would say, to one and all here at the city of brotherly love. There we go. And from his own personal Discovery Island, which I got to experience firsthand. Uh, Mr. Hal Bowers from Tampa, Florida. How are you doing tonight, Hal? Aloha. I am doing just dandy, thank you. So what does that mean? He has a replica Discovery Island? No, or? well, a couple things. First of all, how um, I sent you the bill for the hydrocortisone that I needed from, from okay. your lawn. Okay. Perfect. Those, whatever those things that bit me four days later, I swelled up with these red welts all, <laughs> all over my legs. We have we have some insects in Florida. Yeah, yeah. The mosquitoes down there use performance enhancing drugs. That's that's <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So so how was showing me his beautiful backyard and and the the waterway that comes right, right up next to that, uh, and we were admiring the small crabs and fish and whatnot. And this large crane swoops down and decided to entertain us. I guess you could say for five ten minutes probably closer to 10 15 minutes really yeah maybe as 20. it <laughs> maybe 20, as it attempted to swallow another bird that it had oh plucked from somewhere so you know what they say todd it's yes. a birdie bird world <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> five o'clock time for a very special sports report but uh also too uh, how you know a, a couple months ago the uh uh, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, beat the New England Patriots, my team I follow. Uh, but your Tampa Bay Lightning took out the Boston Bruins recently as well. On a date? On a date. <laughs> they went out. The whole team. That's right. That's lovely. Now all, we, now all we need is Cleveland to do something to the Celtics. Well, hold on. Before we get to that, will... but before we get to that, Brian, the Celtics took out the Philadelphia Sixers. Wow. All right, it wasn't so much of a challenge, and now Celt- uh-huh. now the Celtics have two games up on the Cavaliers. So, yeah. uh, JT, any any uh, thoughts on where we're going with this? I mean, all all of us are somehow sports related this year. It's kind of interesting. We're we're running into a little organizational uh, fatigue. <laughs> LeBron can't do it all, and uh, we'll see. LeBron could very well be in Philadelphia as the rumors stick. So, 
you know, we never know, but he, you know, I don't know. I, I almost don't want them to be, I want the Celtics to go get whooped by the Warriors. I'm sick of seeing that series. So, <laughs> so well, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. So, yeah. and I'm going to pretend like I know what you're talking about. That's totally yeah, fine. How that's they're terrible. talking <laughs> about sport. It's the BBC <laughs> sport report. <laughs> There's some cricket. So I guess, I guess Tampa is in the playoffs we're doing well in the hockey that, that's good. in the hockey in the hockey <laughs> and then you're talking about basketball is basketball mm-hmm. still going on yeah basketball goes on till june oh okay i'm watching the lightning game right now it's tied 2-2 how there we, there go. we go all so. right go lightning uh you guys you guys call them the bolts so it's go bolts oh okay thank you you're welcome james alexander gordon 26 not out sports report 50 not out and this is ian payne three not out saying thanks for listening we'll try and keep up the fine traditions for you we'll see you next week good night well moving on we've got some comments and corrections from last month uh jay lynn wrote in and and brian you know you you did most of the uh uh the episode last month on on hotel plaza boulevard yes and i apologize for its substandardness (laughs) i think it came out great (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm still waiting on the Michael Jackson feedback. I mean, we had somebody just email we, us and they said, uh, well, "We did get well, a lot." Yeah, I mean, but no, somebody emailed and said, "Did you guys ever hear where the room was? The actual number?" Well, and, that, know, we, that we, we still didn't. need to do research on. But the the Michael Jackson podcast called MJ, MJ Cast uh, listens to us and was would, uh, was going to add that story to their own podcast. They didn't know about, which was pretty cool. Um, but we have Jay Lynn writing in saying, uh, we stayed around 1987 at the Dutch Inn. It was all blue and white tile and also had giraffes all around the lobby. Now, this is interesting. It says, the sleepy bear would greet you in the lobby when you came back from the park. He was in his nightshirt and, and, and he was sleepwalking. <laughs> Does anybody remember that? <laughs> I forgot about the travel lodge. That was their logo was this bear with like a candle and like the long sort of, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the, the night Victorian coat. sort of yeah. sleeping garb. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. We also got a question from Howie. Uh, do you know anything about the Vistana Resorts? They opened in 1980. Yes. Uh, but my favorite part about this email, and thank you for writing, <coughs> was that when I answered him, uh, he then gave us more facts of stuff that I didn't answer. So he, he knew more about it than we did. Uh, but the Vistana Resorts were one of the first timeshares. And, and in fact, I think he said they were the first timeshare. That was built near uh, Walt Disney World. They're still there uh, in roughly the area of uh, the Sheridan Lake Buena Vista, if you know where that is, or the Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress, down near that four-way intersection just off property. Uh, the They're now the Sheridan Vistana Resorts, uh, but it, they're still there, and uh, they're still a timeshare, and you can still rent time there. And uh, he came back and told us, um, you know, how cool it was to go there and that they had shuffleboard and pools and all kinds of other stuff that was uh, a big, big deal um, back in the 80s. So that's cool. So thanks for writing in. All right. Uh, We got another email in here. So do you guys remember that we talked about the Epcot, uh, the Communicore poll as you came out or or when you were in the um, in the theater, they would take the data. And we also talked about how sometimes that data would be relayed out to news stories and and uh in the usa today well uh eric jacobson wrote to us and he did some a newspaper sleuthing for us and uh he found uh an article from october 1st 1985 so uh the, the text reads that the following epcot poll was conducted by walt disney world's epcot center and uh 
the the question that was being asked uh, was based on a question from Andy Rooney's CBS 60 Minutes. Um, and uh, what the question was the following is, what was the most popular state in the country to sell? If you could sell a state, which one would you sell? <laughs> so this is kind of a little time capsule from 1985. And um, the... Uh, it, it like ran we're from- going to get rid of this at yeah. bulk discount because we no longer want that state. <laughs> exactly. We're just going to okay. we're going to sell it off. We'll sell it off to balance the budget everywhere else, you know? That's right. Any other any other any guesses on which one we just, we apparently as a country uh, 2781 adults chose this 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 state first. Mm, New Jersey. Very close. Well, that would only be if they were, yeah, only if they were asking people in New York would the answer be New Jersey. <laughs> Everyone else, there, especially in the '80s, would be like, "Let's sell New York." That's what right. a miserable place it was back then. <laughs> California, so thirteen percent was New York, followed by California with nine, New Jersey with seven, Texas with six, New Mexico four, and Mississippi, and North Dakota both at three. So, uh, kind of an interesting little poll, and I think this is a perfect segue. Um, into listener mail because our first mail that we're going to talk about uh jt is dan and we talked about dan so why don't you uh give the listeners we found out some more information about another poll the person of the century yes this was legit our friend dan wrote in he said hi guys i've been catching up on some of the recent podcasts and came across the one discussing the person of the century i was sitting at my desk and just burst out laughing And this is great because we were actually really talking about Dan and we didn't know it. He says, I was the one that messed things up for Disney. He used to drive an omnibus around World Showcase and did crowd control for Illuminations. When I realized that you could vote for yourself, I figured he could be the person of the century. So he figured himself. It was a joke to uh, to tell people all day long, vote for Dan, vote for Dan, vote for Dan, <laughs> and I dealt with thousands of people a day. It just snowballed from there, and I would have people come up to me all day long saying they just voted for me. Then my coworkers told guests, vote for Dan, vote for Dan, and so on. Shortly after that, the area closed mysteriously. Um, never expected that to happen. Of course, he has a picture posing under the Person of the Century logo. Uh, with his stylish 90s outfit. And Dan did share those photos with us, so I think we can post those. That's why he sent them to us. But I think that's a pretty funny story. What do you guys think? Uh, it's it's incredible. And you know what? Just for that, how do you think we can make him a person of the century shirt that just says Dan <laughs> oh, on we, it? We can, should. Can we, we should. make Wait, him a shirt? A, what a concept. We could have everybody walking around Epcot as the person of the century. I was the put... person of the century. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> All right. Uh, there we go. Um, How's on it? How's on it? So, all right. Well, Dan, thanks for thanks for writing in. What a funny piece of uh, of history that we didn't even know you listened. But uh, thank you very much for sharing the the truth behind that story. Awesome. All right. Next up, um, I'm gonna jump out of order here. I have something from Christopher Minotti. Uh, he said, "Hello, my family and I recently did the backyard barbecue near the old River Country site. While there, my brothers and I went to check out the River Country remains." Uh, We went to use the restroom and thought it was neat. What seems to be the original restroom sign still in place. And he shared a picture with us. And And what was the giveaway there? The giveaway on the sign that showed it was original? It said restrooms and showers. Showers, yes. (laughs) The word showers, you're right. Uh, He says nothing too crazy. Just need to see some of the original 
River Country still in place. And you get this a lot, and I, I call false, and you guys could say you're wrong, but you know that sign with Mickey with the banjo, They mm. everybody seems to think that's an original, and I don't think that is. That was added after the fact with the Backyard Barbecue because if it was true River Country time, he would have a musket in his hand for sure. He wouldn't have a banjo. Right. Um, right. So... Christopher, thank you so much. Christopher is an Ohio friend, so appreciate you listening there. Just pop over. JT would love to see you. Hang on by. (laughs) JT's free in the summer anyway. He's got nothing going on. Uh, Nothing, no. Next one is from Elizabeth. Elizabeth wrote in and said, I also have another question for you. Mr. Rodison asked us uh, another question before. I worked at the Contemporary in 2010 and only visited the third floor once while I worked there. Part of the third floor was compressed, like being John Malkovich style, but there were also some offices and such there. I always wondered why the third floor was like that, and she believes the elevators skip it. Do any of you know anything about the third floor of the Contemporary that you could share? I've never, I'm trying to think if I've been on the third floor of you guys. Well, as we know, I'm always confused of what direction I'm heading, so I'm going to let somebody else try to answer this one. Howard? Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. So I, I invite our listeners who may have been former cast members to chime in here because that story is absolutely fascinating. I mean, there is, thinking about it, it's like you go up to the second floor, right? And the ballrooms are there. Right. The Grand yeah. Canyon Concourse is the fourth. And then you it's take the that big, long elevator or escalator, rather, which would make sense that it would be the second yeah. floor that you level out on. So yeah. it might only be on the wing on the, on the outer edge and, and running through the center like an H almost or something. I recall being huh. on a floor of the Contemporary. I'm guessing it was the third. Like, it didn't look like you should be there. Like, glass doors, you know, main office, event planning, that sort of stuff. And I remember just looking like, oh, okay, cool. This is nothing I really want to see. It just looked like offices. But that's that's all I know. I'm not sure. Grady might still be up there cutting hair. Who knows? He <laughs> He's been lost in the walls. Bill Cotter posted some photos uh, from when his office was at the Contemporary back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, that looked out, I mean, he was on a lower level floor and actually had like a, like a balcony or a patio or something outside of his office and that had a direct view to the, it was a Magic Kingdom view uh, and talked about what a cool view it was and what a neat place it was to work at the time. And I mean, obviously we know that's not on the first floor. So, so uh, I'm, there might be something to this third floor thing. I guess we'll have yeah. to check it out. wonder if they have original walls in there, Hal. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So, Brian, you're you're down there next week, so maybe you can, uh, if you have some time, see if you can sleuth around for I, us. That's what the Memorial Day weekend trip is all about, exploring and not having doing a things, so, yeah, <laughs> Doing just, things that nobody else is do, doing. <laughs> doing things I can't do when I have other people with me, so. Uh, there you go. All right. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for that. We'll, uh, we'll keep you posted um, on what we find. Maybe Brian will. It's going to be like a Twilight Zone episode. The thir- <laughs> Can you direct me to the third floor and they all just shudder in horror? You don't want to go there. Yeah. We don't know what you're talking about, we had, Brian. We had a man go to the third floor back in 98. Never heard of him again. <laughs> don't want to go there. All right. Well, uh, moving right along, next piece of mail was from our friend Reese. She says, hello, a while back while I was at Tom Sawyer's Island, I found this guard pictured below. Uh, We'll post that. It appears to be a repurposed animatronic since the eyes are slightly visible from underneath the hat. I just thought this was kind of weird. Also, I'm pretty sure his hand is making the live long and prosper (laughs) sign. I was wondering if there was anything else to this guy. It just fascinated me. I don't recall this guy. Do you? 
so what we're talking about is inside the fort mm-hmm. there and there there are a couple of uh animatronic figures very basic um down in that area and the the person that she's talking about is actually a prisoner so he's in a he's asleep in like a little cell and snoring and i don't know if it's functional anymore or not but the figure's chest used to rise and fall and mm-hmm. they would play a snoring sound um <laughs> so that you do that the, the guy was asleep so the hat was supposed to be over his head so that way uh you wouldn't see the eye so obviously the hat's been knocked out of position and needs needs to be fixed again we've got some but, continuity problems here yeah so there's there's that guy and then there's another guy that's like in a blacksmith shop with some horses next to him and his hand is up on a bellows and he kind of opens and closes the bellows to stoke the fire and i believe he can also raise and lower a uh horseshoe that he's working on uh in that location is is the horseshoe done yet <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been working it's been on years it and years you yeah. think so th- those were there. those were original when Tom Sawyer Island opened. Yes. So maybe the the skin could have been repur- probably not the original uh, skin anymore on these given. I mean, forty five years. Ago. I don't think they're they're skinned with like they don't their mouths don't move. Right. So there's really no no reason to use. It's the old oh, okay. timey. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, they mannequin could, type could just be completely static figures yeah. with uh, yeah with like fiberglass faces, kind of like the Indians out in yep out in the village because it's they're kind of exposed to the elements that there. That, right. there, that there's horseshoe sam but working on that horseshoe <laughs> since 29 <laughs> yeah it's funny they don't go through any uh they don't go through any bother to like try to name them i'm trying to look through some books right now real quick and see if yes yeah. if, you, if you've heard the grumbling once this question was asked how immediately turned to his left and pulled yeah. out some sort of binder of reference material yeah so the guy um, the guy is a. Uh, oh there's actually two figures in the go. blacksmith shop, there's the figure. F one is the figure pumping bellows, and his his right arm moves forward, and so does his right elbow. So he's moving the bellows up and down. And then there is a blacksmith, um, who uh, has tongs in one hand, holding the uh, holding the horseshoe, and the tip of the horseshoe is painted red to look like it's glowing. And then the uh, the other arm has a hammer in it. So that way he can work on that. Um, both of those guys are pirate faces that have been like reused for this section. Oh, there we go. So, so that's where they got those guys. And then our our last guy is the figure sleeping in cell. <laughs> <laughs> he's F three, and uh, he he is exceedingly crude. Um, he's he's really just some very simple mechanics. Like I'm looking at this this picture, and it's basically like a head. And then there's no physical body. Um, there's like a couple of, yeah, there's no physical body. It's just like a bunch of sheet metal stuff arranged together to sort of form a, a pseudo skeleton. And there's the motor that like pumps the, the chest up and down. And uh, I think the arm, yeah, that's it. The only fi- the only uh, animation that figure has is moving the chest up and down. The rest of it is completely static. Uh, and and there's I forgot there's some chickens in there too. Oh yeah, yeah. which are always nice. So yeah, that's there we go. Sleeping, sleeping cell guy. Sleeping Warden. cell guy doesn't have a name, but uh, maybe well, somebody played with his fingers there and uh, <laughs> spread them yeah, out in was, a way. Well, since they were all repurposed from probably from pirates molds, it's like he was probably holding something or doing something 
in his other life right. as a pirate somewhere. And so is just those are the hands just because uh, their hands aren't even skin. They're like fiberglass or right. plaster or so, something and painted. It's like they're not very sophisticated. Or he could be Spock in he could be in uh, the, the the one where they go back in time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I got. I've two, you got one I've more. Two more. Two more. Two this more. Is, it's a big mailbag month. Yeah, it's been big. I love the messages. They they pop up, especially the late night ones. And you wake up and you see it when you wake up on my phone. Like yes, yes. Uh, this one's from John Martin Gano. This is just a quick thank you. He sent us uh, like about ten different artifacts, everything from ten Centennial news to some book covers to preview opening center epcot uh, ephemera just lots of good stuff so thanks john and we've been kind of throwing that out there uh sharing that and finally todd this is this i'm gonna catch off guard with this one. all right let's go we had we had a, a quite a few people and you might already know the answer to this they want the radio loop from wdw that was shared to us what what is the plan because i wanted to tell them and I, maybe you told them but what are we going to do with that the full loop i I, th- I think it's time that we put it out there and uh, i think it would be we'll do a quick ha- mini episode with it where we'll just introduce it let it play so uh so we'll get that we'll get that out as soon as possible I know everybody's yeah, biting at the bit that they want it. They're jumping at the bit to hear it. They yeah, we got, we got a lot say, of angry messages from people about that. Yes. Where is it? <laughs> Guys, listen, you, remember this. You this, tease this, it. This, I know. I apologize. This is, <laughs> this is a hobby for us. <laughs> uh, we enjoy wait, wait, doing it. Here, here's, what, here's what I'd say. We do. We'll have it ready for the summer travel season. So, like, if you're going to Disney this summer, and yeah. you, you know, you're pulling up in the car, the rental car, you drive down. You can throw it on there and tell your kids and whoever else is with you, this is how it used to be. That's right. So we'll do that uh, between 40 and 41. So look for episode 41.5. All right. So that's going to close the mailbag. Huge thanks to everybody that's sending stuff. It's been a busy month. Podcast at RetroWDW.com is the email. You can direct tweet us. You can uh, direct message, email, Instagram message, anything you want to to get in touch with us. Let us know, and we will potentially put that on an and, episode and they can call us that's right oh yeah nine seven eight seventy one retro so give that number a call you get two minutes to leave a message and we'll get you on the air all right well it's time for this month's audio rewind um you know we had stumped people for a couple months so i thought i would put an easy one out there but um being so popular of an attraction i thought most people would get this but uh maybe my selection was a little little too hard uh, how i know you knew it uh brian uh, jt you got it i did not know what it was but you did not okay. I, a no, lot a lot of people answered it correctly that's right i thought that's we right. actually did this one once already well we we know. well let's take a listen and we'll explain All right, so the answer was Horizons, and it was a specific scene. It was the Omnimax scene when you're in uh, one of the two Omnimax uh, theaters. Uh, and, and a couple of people even, and, and I remember this, if you listen very careful, there's a low rumble uh, in, in, in the soundtrack portion of it. And uh, that was the Space Shuttle Columbia uh, taking off. Uh, so it was some footage of that, of that shuttle taking off. Uh, and that's the exact point when that music was. Uh, how we have used some of the Horizons music before uh, in, in some previous audio rewinds, but not oh, okay. not this specific clip. So okay, but we do have a winner. Congratulations to Kevin Hitchcock who got it right, and he did actually tell us 
that was the shuttle taking off. So congratulations. You win the penance. We need a prize for this month. And uh, Brian, you've got something? I do. Uh, We're actually going to send you to the West Coast this month because I have a book uh, that I reference a bunch of times tonight in the in our talk about the Skyway. Uh, that is uh, a recollect. It's called Mouse Tales, and it is a recollection of many stories from cast members at Disneyland. A lot of funny anecdotes, histories, uh, things that happened in the parks that aren't part of the official history. It's a very cool book. I've re- re- referred to it many times as we prepare these shows because it's got a lot of good stories, and uh, it's a good read. So I will send that out, uh, my personal copy to the person who can answer this all right if you think you know the answer to this month's audio rewind send your guesses to podcasts at retro all entries must be received by june 11th 2018 we'll select a random winner for all correct entries and to win this month's prize mouse tails the book And if you are a frequent listener, you always know that we add something to the prize pot, which we draw a random winner out of all correct and incorrect answers uh, in June and also in December. So next month, uh, JT will fire up either the wheel or the big computer or one of those things to randomly select a winner. Uh, But JT, why don't you rattle off the prize pot, and uh, I've got something to add in there at the end. All right, so... January, we put some Epcot posters in there. Next month, we had a retro WDW embroidered hat and a McFarkle Christmas card. We also added an Epcot coin slash medal in honor of the Olympics, an Air Force One uh, pin, uh, the Epcot and Disney World pennants. And now we are on to the next item. All right, well, I've got something to add. I have, uh, I have a DVD here. Uh, Bob Gurr, Turning Dreams into Reality, signed by Bob Gurr, who we're going to add into the prize pot. So that's the Whoa. final prize for this month. Where'd you going. get that? I, I have my ways. I have my he, ways. Uh, he's making the news recently, too. So that's a that's a hot item. It is a very hot item. And he signed on the cover right above uh, his monorail design. So pretty cool there. So we'll send that out in the prize pot to the winner that we pick next month. So that's the big, big prize in the big prize pot. So... Again, we'll pick that next month. All winners, regardless if they're incorrect or not, will be entered into the big prize pot. So give a guess this month if you know the answer to this month's audio rewind. All right. Well, it's time to get on to our main topic. As we talked about, we're going to take to the air and the skyway and also go around the, the plaza uh, on the swan boats tonight. Uh, so Brian and I are going to discuss a little bit about the skyway. He's got some research and I have some personal experiences that I, I want to bring out and talk about. Uh, it's a, it's a missed ride, but as we know, the Disney Skyliner is bringing something of very similar capacity back in many ways. Uh, but Brian, let's, uh, roll back to the Disneyland days and how we got a Skyway. Uh, sure thing. But before we start, I know that you and Howard have both rode the Skyway in Walt Disney World. JT, did you ever get to ride it before they closed it? Okay. Okay. So I am, I am the lone person. I asked Rob today, I said, did I ever ride the Skyway? Because he was on all my early trips, and he s- does not remember us riding it. I don't think I ever rode it, uh, because I, I used to go in the winter time, and it was at that point a seasonal attraction. They often did not run mm-hmm. it during low crowd periods, so uh, I don't think I ever actually rode it. All that said, I have ridden Skyways before, 
and the Skyway was added to Disneyland for the first full summer in 1956. Uh, so it was about as early an attraction as you can get without an opening day one. One of the first things that Walt added there. It's an aerial tram system uh, added in 1956, as I said, uh, using a, it's an aerial tram system that uses a gondola lift infrastructure. And they are two different things. Uh, aerial trams are used to seeing like the, what's the one in New York that takes you out to the island? Oh, Roosevelt, yeah, Roosevelt Island. Island right? so yep. And they seat, you know, 10, 12, 20 people, whatever, and take it. Uh, and obviously, if you've seen the ski lift systems, they're more the, the, the rotating cable and have the different stanchions along the way. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is kind of a it's kind of a blend of both systems. Uh, but it was made by Van Roll of Switzerland, who made those systems all over Europe and the United States. Uh, actually invented in the late 1800s but predated as far back as the 1600s in croatia where they had a similar wow. system using ropes and horses that's uh, a, wow yeah, that's that would be so that's something to bring back to disney world you know we'll yeah. go way back in time uh, and and we should we should mention too you're i mean obviously in switzerland there with the mountains they're everywhere in Germany and Austria and Switzerland, it is a mode of transportation yeah. that in funiculars, but uh, it is a mode of transportation not just for the tourism industry, but they do use it to to move people. So, Todd, do you know where the first one in the United States was? I do and not. I should but say please. is <laughs> the first one in the United States, uh, 1938 at Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire, and still runs to Look this at day. That. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go visit that. Yeah. I'm gonna go check that out. Cannon, uh, probably. a about an hour in 50 minutes, somewhere in there. So uh, like so many other things that changed as a result of World War II, uh, servicemen, businessmen came back here uh, after the war and they tended to proliferate in tourism and some practical applications in the United States after guys, you know, here who were soldiers during the war saw them and brought the idea back here. Uh, so as I mentioned, Van Roll built uh, the ones here. The Disneyland's in 1956 was their first one in the United States. The buckets on that one had a center post and held two guests. And Bob Gurr, our old friend Bob Gurr, redesigned the buckets in 1965 to hold four guests, eliminate the post without increasing the weight. Is there anything that man can't do? <laughs> I mean, from from Autopia cars to 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 gondolas, he's he's got it all. He's got so it all. I do have some anecdotes, uh, but uh, I'll start with the load and unload uh, the actual job for the cast members. And then those of you who wrote it can maybe walk them through what it was like to yeah. ride it at Walt Disney World. But uh, the cast members did not like to work it. Uh, because the stations were set apart from all the other attractions. So you were kind of segregated from your friends. There was no, you know, working the line at Peter Pan and waving to your friend working at Small World or anything like that. Uh, you were up on a, you know, you were up on an elevated platform kind of by yourself. It was a physically demanding role because you had to swing the heavy cabins around the unload and load zone uh, and then push them into the trip mechanism. And, and there was a new cabin about every 10 seconds. So you, you almost get the sense of that I Love Lucy episode where they're trying to keep up with the, <laughs> with, the, candy. With the candy line. Uh, but it was a very industrial setting once you were actually inside the load-unload zone. Uh, and Dave Koenig in his book actually likens it to a t- working at a tire factory with the added complication that since it was a low-capacity ride, uh, the tires would get angry because if they were kept waiting. So, <laughs> so uh, one thing I couldn't find, and how you might be able to answer this, is I could not find what the actual capacity was, assuming they were running all the buckets. Oh, that's a good question. I couldn't find that anywhere. 
Huh. I honestly don't. So I know, know. I know we've seen some of those like typewritten sheets from like the seventies where they, they show the operational capacities of each attraction. So, oh, so yeah. I, hang on yeah. a second. You know what? I'll, I'll, while you're reading, I'll see if I can. Yeah. Find so it. that's what I have. Todd, why don't you tell us what it was like to kind of get on the ride? Yeah. So there were two places that you could actually board the Skyway. Uh, you could board in Fantasyland and also in Tomorrowland. And, and they were listed on the map as two different attractions. There was Skyway yes. to Tomorrowland and Skyway to Fantasyland. <laughs> That's right. So I, I and in, in my book that I wrote years ago, I, I made sure that people always knew that the queue in Tomorrowland was always shorter than Fantasyland. Fantasyland, that whole area there was congested. We'll talk about that in a minute. So we're gonna we're gonna board and let's take a virtual ride on the Skyway, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, the load and unload in each of the areas. The load in Tomorrowland was a very nondescript concrete building that you know fit in with with the with the design of that area. Very utilitarian. Uh, yeah, the the neat part was that there was this waterfall um, where the gondolas came in and out of the building. Um, the water cascaded down, which was really a nice feature. You entered on the left side of the building, so the waterfall would be to your right, and you exited on the other side of the building, so the waterfall would be on your right as you're coming out of the building down these ramps. Uh, and like you said, Brian, it was very utilitarian inside. It w- that was a very, very boring queue. It was essentially a ramp up and some corrals and zigzags and back and forths, and uh, that that was it. Now, Getting on, um, it's, it's still pretty could, utilitarian because you can go to the bathroom there now. That's that's true. It, <laughs> if you wanted, yeah, the bathrooms that are next to Stitch's stage or right there next to the entrance to uh, Space Mountain is the re- remnants of the building above. Uh, is where the load and unload was. And it wasn't until 2009, 2012 or something like that that they actually uh, went uh, went around and um, f- fixed the bathrooms and also removed the second floor. So, uh, you know, as Brian pointed out, it was very utilitarian side. You went up the ramp. There was some back and forths. Um, now, with a gondola system, you can't slow it down for every car. That the cable is constantly moving at the same speed. So what would happen is that the just like any other major gondola system, the cars would come out um, and uh, they would come off onto the secondary track coming off of the cable. And they would swing them around. A cast member would open the door, help the people out, and then they would push the gondola with, with their might around a corner and it would swing around to the load area. The door was already open and another cast member would then help the people get in, close the door and lock it. It could only be unlocked. I, I can't remember how did they, they had a key, right? They had a key that would lock it and unlock it, I believe, right? I, you know what? I don't remember a key. Okay. It, it went so fast. You know what there probably was, was some sort of lower lock. I'm shooting from memory here. So maybe, yeah, maybe with the foot or so, something. So the handle, you know, you could, you could in theory reach out and like move the handle. I think there was a secondary lock that was somehow lower mm-hmm. on the cabins th- that you couldn't reach around and open up as a safety procedure. Right. Right. Or as a safety precaution. But, um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll okay. So you would you would get into the 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 uh, the gondola and had four. It sat four people, two across, um, and you know you could get a, another small child in there. I don't know what the the weight limit was, but was, there was a weight limit printed on the uh, oh was like there the warning on the warning sticker. I'll have to see if I can find. <laughs> it All right, we'll find that. Um, and uh, then what happened is the cast member would close the door and they would shove you down um, towards the point where. The uh, gondola would come off the the off track, if you will, and would jump onto the actual cable. Now, there was some sort of mechanical, I don't think it was computer, but it was a mechanical system to uh, track how much cable went by 
and between the the gondolas and what would happen is then the release would would open up and the gondola would swing down and grab onto the cable and then be taken up and that would evenly space the gondolas out across um, on, on the attraction if they missed one or you might see a, a break so as Brian was talking, this was a quite the job because you had to constantly making sure that you met these timings, and um, you you know you have to make sure that people are on and, and off. Otherwise, you get these breaks in in the flow, and then what happens is you had gondolas back up um, in the queue area, and there's really no way to release them because you've got to make the timing. So. Uh, until that break came back around was the only time you could make it up. So it would take 10 minutes for that difference in one um, uh, gondola and, and the second gondola, if you, had a, if you had a missing one in between, to come all the way around and you had to w- work with that backup afterwards. So it was very important to try and get out there and, and keep keep things moving. <laughs> so. so here's your capacity, Todd. It's okay. four, four adults or 700 pounds. Yeah. Okay. 317.5 kilos. Look at that for our European listeners. And and Canadians. And Canadians, that's right. Shout out to our Canadian friends. <laughs> I have a capacity related story from Disneyland. Oh. Be- because it was a boring job for the cast members, one of the things they used to do <clears throat> early in its life was try to fill the buckets with as many people as they could. So <laughs> the record was 8. They got eight eight people into the bucket. In the round bucket? In a single bucket. And the overloaded cabin was so heavy, it pulled down on the cable, and its bottom struck the tunnel opening through the Matterhorn. Uh, it stranded the <laughs> cabin against oh, the man. side of the mountain, and they had to come and rescue them from the Matterhorn building. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That, I'm guessing those cast members uh, did, did not get the Dick Nunes no. uh, gold star. <laughs> So assuming that you you were below the maximum capacity, you would you would kind of swing out a little bit, you know, it would kind of give this swing as you as you kind of came over the fountain and and rose up. The one thing when you come off of there that is kind of to me was like one of the most memorable things is when you would do that transfer between the cables, the car would make this incredible lurch. Oh yeah, like yeah. scary, like scary lurch forward with this like weird mechanical <laughs> sound you'd kind of like drop for a second like there was yeah. a, sort of a harsh yeah <laughs> a very unpleasant floor of the load area went down to uh, account for it dropping down yeah. so and then you immediately start to climb up so yeah so there's like a little bit of tre- trepidation before your your journey starts if you didn't like uncertain moves and and uh, little bumps now and then or heights it, it wasn't really your <laughs> it wasn't really yeah. your thing so now that we're on our way uh we are on the first segment if you're heading from tomorrowland to Fantasyland. now um so we're on the first uh leg of the journey uh to fantasy land now i went out and um played around with Google Earth and a couple of our satellite views, and I did some measurements. And I have, uh, for this first segment, from Tomorrowland to the 90-degree turn, which we're going to talk about, uh, at about 550 to 575 feet uh, was the first. So not, not very long. And uh, how you have some you have some statistics on that too, right? Do you, or do you only yeah, have the total? So, you, so I have the total, and it says here that the turn was 80 degrees. So you did a really good job okay. with the guesstimate on that one. Like, <laughs> oh, that's very impressive. All right. And then we'll, after I reveal what I estimated the total length to be, we'll, we'll see how, yep, then, see how yeah, I do. We'll do yep. So uh, you would proceed over the, the people mover and over um, over the, the, the speedway. And then you came to a very unique area where we just talked about turning 80 degrees. 
um, you would actually descend back down to ground level. And there was always a cast member at the station. You'd go into this little covered area and you wouldn't come off the track, but there was some mechanism in order to be able to kind of turn the entire gondola 80 degrees and head towards Fantasyland. So and- if you picture, so there's a bunch of giant wheels mm-hmm. that, that are, would be, I guess, parallel you know, if, if you think, don't think of a wheel upright, think of a wheel laying down on its side. So that's, that's the type of, there was a big giant wheel at both ends. And there was another one of these big giant wheels where the cable would come into the edge of the wheel. And that's how it would achieve that swing around. So the, the cable would come down and instead of, instead of a vertical turn, it's like yep. the wheel was turning, spinning horizontally and it would grab you and kind of push you around that way. And there were these guards to prevent you from swinging out too far uh, in, in, <laughs> in the station. And there was always a cast member there. And I remember riding it. Uh, my dad was, was, was filming something. He starts to stand up because I think he thought that we were getting out. My mom's like, what are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm just getting ready. You know, sat back down again. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. So yeah, it's all, I'm good. I think a lot of times too, those guys would have to catch the car as it came around. Oh yeah. And kind of push it. And again, you talk about the physicality that was required yeah. for that job. And you're sitting there in the middle of the Tomorrowland Speedway listening to the... Constant drone, you're sucking in fumes, yeah. and all you're doing is pushing Skyway cars now and, and then that get stuck. And based on what we said, you could be basically be breaking a seven seven hundred pounds worth of vehicle and people yeah. in order to like <laughs> slow that thing down and like get it around that turn. Get it around, yeah. So it was even it's it was actually a small building, a covered uh shell if you will of steel it, it would be right behind the the back of uh of the dumbo building where the where the play area is now there's just a green area in there when you're on the back stretch of tomorrow of the tomorrowland speedway and you look off to your right before you make the left-hand turn it was in that green space right on your right I, hand I side. just picture it, like steve martin and the jerk standing there doing that job sucking in those fumes <laughs> and saying, i'm paying being paid three dollars an hour to do this i'm the luckiest guy in the world can you believe it? I had another interesting bit of uh, information about apparently, according to Burnbaum, that was the nation's first type of gondola able to make that turn. Oh, ever. Hmm. So kind of a little, and he, he, he marks it as 90 degrees, but I'll, I'll believe you how you've got, you know, Burnbaum, it's easier to tell people 90 degrees, than 80 90 and people, degrees, whatever it takes. Yeah. doesn't matter. It's close. So who knows? I don't know. So we go back, we start to rise again, and now we're getting to the highest towers because the towers that you were on originally uh, were pretty low because you had to come right back down again. So we come up over Tomorrowland Speedway, and we pretty much uh, follow the pathway just north of uh, the Mad Hatter, um, straight shot all the way to the end. And so what do you start to see up here? Well, you know, the, one of the first things that people immediately notice is that as you cross into Fantasyland on your left-hand side, uh, you have a great view of the castle, um, and you start to notice all of the building rooftops, which were kept clean, I suppose, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't not, much. Not to really. S- <laughs> it's a roof. Yeah. It's a roof, yeah, and and. Uh, you know, it was neat to be able to look out and see the park there. When you were going over the speedway, it was awesome. And the biggest thing that people wanted to see, and even Birnbaum mentioned that the beautiful, pristine aquamarine color of 20,000 leagues. And that was, I think to me, that was the highlight of being able to look down 
and and see it and you know see it operating and, and the water and you know hot day you you want to go in there but how how what did you what, what was your favorite part of it yeah i mean 20 20 000 leagues under the sea was probably the best that was the best thing to, to see particularly if you're going to be i don't know if you're going to talk about what it was like to go from fantasy land into Tomorrowland. <laughs> But that that route was probably the more picturesque out of the two. Yes, because uh, you'd kind of cruise down the middle of of Fantasyland and see the Pinocchio stuff, and then go over Dumbo, and then eventually get to Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and uh, that was, and then eventually it's like the contemporary would reveal itself as yes. you came around, and you had beautiful views of the castle. I mean, a lot of people talk about sight lines today. And it is, it was definitely a, a weird experience because, you know, there, like you said, there, you saw a lot of rooftops, you saw a lot of things that you, you know, in theory weren't intended to see, mm-hmm. but there were some absolutely gorgeous oh, yeah. views. And I remember pointing out and say, look, there's, there's tiki birds in the distance and I, that's where Jungle Cruise is. And, and you could see out across Seven Seas Lagoon. I, it, it was understood. Like you said, the sight lines going the other direction were fantastic, but I, you know, I remember looking out there and, and uh there was a lot a lot to see and of course if you're you're curious like i was you know you're always trying to see what was behind the magic kingdom you know can can, can i s- exactly. sneak a peek of that of that monorail building where I, where is it yeah as i was older i en- i enjoyed being able to see the dirty roofs and things because <laughs> that was that was different you could see yep. like oh my god the it's the snow white or i'm sorry the small world show building is enormous yeah back there. yeah it's like you could really and you could say like, wow, they really kind of chinsed out on the, the like extra decoration to cover that up. That's you right. You can see where all the little castle parts <laughs> were just perfectly placed and then the rest of the building was just plain. <laughs> and I, I will say there's no shortage of photographs and film of this. It was it was a big thing. It was a big yeah. thing. And if you go to any of our restored films, almost all of them have some snippet of the Skyway. Uh, I have a personal funny story that when when I went down, I think I've told this story before, maybe on another podcast, uh, another episode, but I could not wait to go on to 20,000 Leagues. So we went on the Skyway and I'm thinking, I'm going to see this. And as we approached, (laughs) empty. I remember the story. Empty. Yeah, empty. I was so disappointed. It was just all that neon colored coral. And I remember a pump going in the distance and I'm like, look, they're pumping it. They're pumping water in. My dad's like, no, that's, that's pumping out. I'm like, no, no, no. So that was my, my, the worst memory I have from the Skyway. But I went on it many, many times. I've got a couple pictures of us up there. Um, but as you point out how you go over Dumbo, you come right down the center of Fantasyland there, which I, I always thought that was neat. Um, you know, the, the stanchions for the Skyway though did not lend well to crowd control between uh peter pan and small world that got tight (laughs) that got really really tight there that is Um, that is a very narrow yeah just in general and you think about all the places in the magic kingdom where there's like tons and tons of space yes like that little there's like two places that i always think of as being like major crunches at walt disney world and one is there Mm mm-hmm and then the other one is like that bridge right before the Mexico Pavilion coming out of Future World, where it oh, yes. <laughs> turns into like the sea of humanity. That's right. You cannot move past it. You are not going. That's a good judge of crowds, it, too. It is. And, you and can you imagine it today if it was still there with the strollers? I mean, back then you didn't have oh. the strollers as omnipresent as you yep. do now. Yep. Yeah. 
Now, I don't recall where the exact spot is where one of the stanchions was, but uh, if you go there, I was looking the other um, couple weeks ago when I was there. There is some uh, brickwork down that's a circle, and I don't know if that was one of where uh, one of the poles I just was, added but. some slides in the last few weeks where there's a slide right outside a or there's a stanchion right outside a small world. Um, okay, and and we kind of made note of it. It was kind of interesting. It was, yeah. yeah, there's a, there was a really one of the famous, I think the most famous one was uh, had a fountain attached to yeah, it. Yeah, I. Th- like with a little lion's face. And oh yeah, yeah that's I think right. that was it. And like we're like, oh look at that. And yeah, that was that was really cool. And then the, a lot of the other ones, they mostly put planters around them through fantasy. And, and, so. and yeah, and, right. And the one in Tomorrowland, I think, had some of the hexagonal benches or something around them. Which right. Was yeah, most of them had were there were benches. Uh, they were so they were dual purpose. It's like yeah, yeah. they are ugly, but they also put nice benches and a little bit of greenery and, around. And them. so Todd yeah. took you on this ride. And it, the, the most striking thing was you left this utilitarian, uh, brutalist kind of uh, station in Tomorrowland and you landed at like the most beautiful picturesque station in Fantasyland. To this day, I think that w- was one of the most absolutely well-designed landscaped areas in, in all the Magic Kingdom and, and I had played Alpine music and you'd come down into this chalet style uh, load and unload area made out of you know this brown wood and then they had a little waterfall i mean how you've yeah. seen it everybody saw yeah. it it was amazing a, a clock tower yeah i mean and it felt like you were e- even the you know, walkway to get up to it there was like a little babbling oh, yeah. brook and you walked over a little bridge mm-hmm. and, and you had a cl- and, uh, you had to climb upstairs i believe too i don't think it was a yeah, very ADA. Place, yeah. yeah you had, you and uh, there was this little snow white wishing well was there too yep that's right so that area that we're talking about is now where the tangled restrooms are, for those of you new. And, and I, I will say, talking about tight areas of the park, as the Magic Kingdom grew, uh, that area between um, you know Haunted Mansion, which is now open, uh, they've opened that up. But when it was that just that single passageway uh, past the Columbia Harbor House and into Fantasyland, that, that was really tight. So I, I know why they did what they did, and, and the sp- additional space is welcomed but it is a shame we we lost some of that uh the nice alpine uh alpine design but um but yeah I, the music played on for a, a, i remember people saying oh the skyway's been shut down for years and the music's still playing in the queue <laughs> you could walk up and if you listen carefully you could hear some faint yodeling yeah <laughs> it was it was one of the one of the like as a nerd like one of the highlights of waiting in that queue is as you would come up and go around to the outside edge there was this kind of like a covered bridge yeah, walkway yeah. part of it. And uh, if you were on the right-hand side, you could kind of peek out through the slats and see where the Haunted Mansion show building, like there's a, <laughs> there's just like this long, uh, like, I don't know what you want to call it, like a draw, like a, just a cement walkway between the haunted mansion building and the small world building <laughs> and you could just see them there'd be cars parked there backstage so it was like a really neat little place to see like some of the backstage area that you weren't supposed to yeah oh todd did you what's your length did, what oh yes you thank you so with? uh i i measured the second length of about 1200 feet for a total of about 1750 to 1775 one way okay so According to this, the cable was approximately 3,600 feet long. Divide by two is 1,800. So, da-da. Nice, not, nice not, work, man. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one of the things that we didn't talk about 
just operationally. So the motor that drove the Skyway was in the Fantasyland section so that's that's where um that was and then the um the counterbalance in order to keep the the cable taut there was a 16 ton weight on the tomorrowland side wow uh yeah called the tension station (laughs) so uh can you imagine like when they finally went to remove that yeah how how did they get a 16 ton weight like out of there that's Hercules. Insane. They used Hercules. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if that cable ever broke in the twang? Oh my gosh. That so would have been It's it's amazing with all the slack, there was still that much tension on it. That's that's yeah. that's pretty amazing. So we've got some good good footage too. One of the original uh you guys remember one of the original films from my grandfather. Uh everybody pointed out the um the sister in her habit coming out of the fantasy land uh uh, she was in the gondola coming out. And then we, Brian, in another film, you noticed a bunch of sailors. sailors. We see sailors frequently yeah. in these films because the training facility was 40 miles away or something. That's when my uncle went. So, yeah. Uh, they would yeah. We see them waiting in the Tomorrowland but, So, so yeah, you might wonder, cool. you know, today's, because we'll talk about why they closed it, uh, the many good reasons why they closed it. But uh, you might wonder about people dropping things on people, people doing things untoward on them, um, you know, because kids will be kids and we're often left unattended riding these things back in the day. So if a kid spit uh, down from the Skyway, which always got reported to someone, uh, the cast members would make him stare at a spot on a wall when he got out and pretend they were taking his picture and told him if he made any more trouble that day, he'd be thrown out of the park. <laughs> uh, Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Wow, that's that seems horribly ineffective. Kids were different back then. Kids were scared to death of getting in trouble back then. They didn't have you know lawyers and didn't treat adults like they were idiots back then. Smoking marijuana, that would have been a place where you would try to do that uh, if that was your thing back in the in the day. Uh, but the smell or smoke would linger under the the roof there. Uh, so if they smelled it at offload, one of the things that cast members reported they used to do was uh, take the guys off, or girls, uh, line them up on the wall and make them empty their pockets and uh, tell them <laughs> that uh, they, they, if they threw it in the trash, they wouldn't have to report them. And then, of course, when the people left, cast members who partook of such things would then abscond with the trash. Uh, that's, that's another story it was told. Uh, did they make them stare at the picture portal on the wall? I think when that, I think that didn't work with the pot smoking crowd. Uh, <laughs> stare here and empty yeah, your the, pocket. The last, the last one I have is, you know, you might wonder about people, you know, antics on there. And I know Hal's got some stories of accidents and incidents. Uh, in 1989 on the Disneyland one, uh, there was some teenagers who, you know, rocked the thing back and forth. Uh, and rocked it so hard uh, that the one of their guide wheels jumped off the cable near Toad Tower in Fantasyland. And the entire ride came to a stop automatically with uh, the buckets trapped 40 feet in the air. It took firefighters over four hours with extension ladders to get them down, and it took them three days to get the ride up and running again. Oh, my gosh. And what wow. a bunch of idiot kids. You're flirting with your own life. So there. before we talk about why they closed it, how? What happened? So maybe these are some of the reasons why they closed it. So <laughs> as as happens with all of these attractions, from, from time to time there are accidents and incidents. Um, these ones come from uh, David Cohen's book, Reality Land. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure these were probably reported in the newspapers, so 
it's these are probably true um so on may 24th of 1982 um a uh a cast member, Joe Miranda, was standing in front of the gaunt where the gondolas would come out of Fantasyland. Uh, they started up the attraction. Uh, she wasn't aware they were starting it, so she kind of got hit by the gondola and grabbed onto the edge of it. And the gondola went out uh, about sixty feet um, out into like up under thing with her dangling from it. Uh, and someone finally hit the e stop, so uh, it got out to about a hundred feet. Uh, some sailors, again, the sailors, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. Sailor, the sailors climbed up, uh, the, the little A-framed entrance tower to try to be able to, to get up to her. What a scene. Yeah. Um, but she, she tried to swing the gondola in that direction, kind of like a acrobat, uh, but her strength gave out before and she fell about 20 feet down. Then later on, uh, in 1999, a custodian who was 65 years old, a man named Raymond Barlow, was sweeping the loading area of Fantasyland. They started it up. He got in the way, didn't realize it. Uh, again, he grabbed the side of it, um, got pulled out over the park. He, he dropped 40 feet and went through some trees uh, and died, unfortunately, mm. um, from that. Um, mm. The park was fined uh, $4,500 by OSHA for a violation in safety standards. And then it was about uh, nine months after that, that they closed it. Uh, and there was one, one funny story uh, from cast members. Apparently there was a guy who went on to, I think he got in in Fantasyland and he got off in Tomorrowland. And when he got off in Tomorrowland, he had taken off all of his clothes <laughs> and he streaked <laughs> through Tomorrowland, like down Main Street. <laughs> And then they finally grabbed him and like pulled him off stage somewhere in Main Street. <laughs> oh. He made it to about the Penny Arcade. And... <laughs> for, the, for those of you kids out there, you really should research the streaking uh, phenomenon of the mid to late 70s. It is fascinating in how ridiculous it is that this just became a thing at sporting events and public events for someone, some men, sometimes women, to just run through naked. Uh, and, and, and I remember you'd be watching a Mets game in the 80s and they, they would have to turn the camera away because it would happen. They'd run out in the middle of Shea Stadium. <laughs> just... Yeah, and uh, there was even a top 10 song by, I think, Ray Stevens called The Streak. Uh, all, about, oh, yeah. all about streaking. That's so right. We That's might, right. We might yeah. have to drop that in here a little bit. But uh, the, the ride did eventually close. It was at Disneyland, uh, Tokyo Disneyland, when it opened, and at Walt Disney World when it opened. Uh, Disneyland's was the first to close in 1994. Uh, and then Tokyo Disneyland closed in 1998, and they finally closed the one at the Magic Kingdom of Walt Disney World in 1999. Uh, and we gave you the fate earlier in the show of the two stations, uh, which both were eventually torn down either completely or partially. And we have the exact day of last operation was no, Tuesday, November 9th, 1999, exactly five years to the day when Disneyland closed. That's interesting. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah. The, 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 the main drivers for it, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them, but it was, a, it was a low capacity attraction. You know, in Disneyland in 1956, it was the first one of these systems in a park here, but by the 90s, it was really, I mean, there were a lot of, there are still a lot of parks actually around the country, amusement parks that have these. 
Uh, we have one at Bush Gardens, Tampa, right? Buddy? Right, and I'll and I'll put my plug in for Great Adventure in Central New Jersey here, which has the original Skyway from the 1964 World's Fair that runs there. Hmm. Uh, but you know, they 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 by by the late 90s, it was a very kind of pedestrian, off the shelf thing to have running in a Disney theme park. Uh, in yeah. addition to being low capacity, in addition to being obvious safety issues when you're dealing with at that point, 40, 50 year old technology and ride systems. And on top of all of that, imagine today, if they still had it, how many drop cell phones there would be with these more, with these morons <laughs> taking selfies out the side of it or what, you know, yep. uh, it just, I think it reached a point where everywhere they had it run and it was like, you know what, this is just way more trouble than it's worth. And, uh, yep. and so they, gradually took it out of all the parks in the 90s i'm sure to the delight of insurance company lawyers yeah so there's a great article from november 11th 1999 um on the orlando sentinel that basically you know there was a spokeswoman for uh for for walt disney world and she says uh, it's part of our ongoing efforts to phase out some of the older attractions and introduce new things to keep our parks exciting for our new and repeat visitors it's just something whose time has come um, and she additionally said, certainly it was one of the older rides. This was based on our guest evaluations and our desire to renew things to keep them fresh. Uh, it was also interesting, too. Do you guys remember Bob Selinger of the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World from the, in the 80s? So they quoted him here, too. And uh, I love this. Judging from the response from when they closed the ride at Disneyland, most people won't even know it's gone. <laughs> so... <laughs> But uh, I like his other quote here. And Disney figured it could probably make better use of the space taken up by the two Skyway terminals. Well, ironically, one is still a bathroom. As we talked about, they took the top off. Uh, the second one, it took until 2012 when the when the tangled area. So it took 13 years to reevaluate that space and do something Yeah, in the it. interim, that Fantasyland one had become stroller parking. And in one of yeah. the coolest uses of it during special events like the not so scary Halloween party and the Christmas party, uh, they would do Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, photo ops at that uh, at that Fantasyland station. So that was the that was the photo op spot for that, which was a really cool backdrop for that shot. Yeah, and yeah. that makes sense because really the whole thing was supposed to be Snow White. That yeah. that station was themed somehow. <laughs> I don't know how the Alpine thing is Snow White, but it was like. It did carry like a Snow White she theme en- throughout. She it. enjoyed Ricola. Right. <laughs> Ricola. Ricola. Ricola cough drops, a pleasant tasting blend of organically grown herbs from Switzerland. For soothing relief, try Ricola. Ricola. Now, as I say, if anybody wants to ride this guy away, go ahead. Like I said, almost any of our, our films. Uh, on the website have have footage from it and there's if uh, you just search skyway we'll throw some photos in as well in our, in our photo search you'll find a, yeah. a lot of neat stuff oh brian there were there were 56 cars all right so so there's number and there's actually i'm sorry 58 58 58 cars 58 cars uh, so that's 232 on at any given time and there were um i think and some of them are still around there were there were some that go in that are in storage that get pulled out for special events yeah we got our picture with some at the destination d in yep. 2016 and um there's one that just recently got added to a new store at disney springs that's right um i think it's called disney style is that yep. it yep yep there's a so photo op there the... yeah it's, a, it's an actual photo op with it you can get your picture okay. taken it's, inside it, of it it's like oh i thought I saw one that was actually like hanging up from in the, the ceiling. ceiling. 
and there's like oh, a oh, sprinkler there's something on the it. ground that you can there's an old, oh, okay it's an old ride vehicle on the ground i know my friend heather just posted a picture of her in something i don't know <laughs> i love that they hid the sprinkler in the center of the old skyway that's awesome <laughs> in the old bucket. make it functional well again you take a ride and take a look at our films and and stuff it's uh certainly something that's missed but as we know the skyway is coming back in the uh disney world skyliner that will be opening up in a few years um so sight lines be damned uh it doesn't matter what <laughs> what what the back of epcot looks like now it doesn't matter if you have a sky bucket going through a, a small eiffel tower uh, we're going to move people and um, i did some rough estimates on those most of those just for comparison's sake, run anywhere from 2,700 to 3,500 feet one way, the longest being from Caribbean Beach up to the studios. So not sure how they're all going to be interconnected and all that stuff yet, but give you an idea. All right, well, time for part two of this episode where we're going to go uh, take a relaxing boat ride around the plaza and into Adventureland, and that could be none other than the Swan Boats. Now, how you've done some research on this i don't think any of us you might be the only person who actually got on this attraction and and before that i just want you to know that my grandparents uh from the day that they talked disney to me were always upset and could never understand why the swan boats were taken out it was an enjoyable ride for 10 minutes and i loved it and i couldn't go there anymore really got his goat he he misses it so uh i've (laughs) I've got to make sure you know we get some Hard, good information. Hardcore here. fan there. That's he really loved cool. it. He loved they even it. tried to flash their gold key card trying to get it back, and it didn't. <laughs> he said, "Sir, please. That's just for all you can eat lobster. That's not." Uh, so, how? Give us a little little background. Sure. To the and you know what? This is one of those ones where I think I might have ridden it, but it, I would have been so young when it happened. Mm. Like I don't. I ha- I. I have what I think is a memory of it in Adventureland, but I, I don't know if it's a false memory from some of the movies that we've you know had restored, right? Or right. if it really happened. So, I I think I wrote it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> which, gotcha. Which stakes? Anyways, so yeah, so um, so the sort of first indications that we saw that there might be some kind of boat transportation ride uh, are actually back from from renderings that Herb Ryman did in 67, I'm sorry, in 68 and 1970. And you can see uh, there's, there's two ones that you'll, you'll see quite a bit. And maybe we can put some, uh, put some of the pictures in the show notes. Uh, there's one that's this kind of like overhead shot looking down of a really weird entrance to Tomorrowland that didn't get built. And you can see this kind of like jungle cruise boat with the, the red and white striped canopies going by there. And then there's hmm. another one that he did, um, of the Concord Bridge going into Liberty Square. Uh, and there's a boat going underneath that bridge, which is named the Lexington, oddly enough. Um, and it, it just kind of looks, again, looks kind of Jungle Cruise boatish. So I don't know if there was some weird thought of like, let's not have the Jungle Cruise at all. Uh, and let's do this instead, which strikes me as very odd because the Jungle Cruise seems to be in all of the early renderings. But it was... It was something that was planned, and and I think the way that it was intended to function was kind of an East Coast equivalent to the storybook canal boats. So if you think about Disneyland, you know, if, if you've been uh, back in the uh, the back of Fantasyland, there are these canal boats uh, that very famously opened up with, like, the canal boats that 
showed nothing because they didn't have time to do anything, but they opened up the attraction anyways. So they just kind of went around dirt embankments until finally they built like the little miniature houses. Um, so for some reason they decided not to do that here. So you'll notice that we don't have a, we don't have canal boats and we don't have the Casey Jr. train. Um, but instead they did this thing. So you got a tour of main street and, uh, and Adventureland instead. Um, so what's kind of neat is on the 1971 Paul Hartley fund map that was in the hotels that we always talk about. Um, you finally see a design there, uh, that actually looks more like what actually showed up with a swan on the, uh, the front of the boat. So, um, I think what maybe we have to do is you guys have all seen pictures. I mean, the pictures at this point are kind of legendary. Oh yeah. It's like the photos all over. It's, it's this longish boat with a canopy top and then kind of like this big wooden swan on the front. Uh, it's really, if you shrunk down a jungle cruise boat a little bit and stuck a swan on the front and took off the steam. Yeah. <laughs> the steam engine in the middle. I mean, that's really what it's, it is. It's kind of, well, it still has that like center seat thing, you know, like where the, the engines were or whatever, the mechanisms. Right. Doesn't right. It? I don't think you ever actually sat in that part. No, there was, but there's like a big There's definitely, yeah. The yeah. I think there, the engine was, I, I would not be surprised if it was built very similarly to the Jungle yeah. Cruise. And in fact, they ended up sharing sort of like the same boathouse uh, style, you know, like facility when it was all done. They were connected just on like two sides of the canal there. So And J- and JT will tell all those kids out there that the cars back then had those humps <laughs> oh, yeah. on the floor. They did. Through the- Rear wheel drive, baby. <laughs> Actually, that's probably, that is probably what it was. Um, so why why a swan boat i i think that's one of the things that i had a question about like what is what is this from so potentially uh the inspiration that i found was uh from boston massachusetts so kind of your guys way um yes boston has had swan boats since 1877 yep there was a guy named robert paget uh and he had um he had sort of the i guess the contracts to to do like rental boats uh at the um at the lake there on the public garden and uh i guess he was trying to think of something different to do and bicycles were invented and becoming popular about the same time so he figured out how to make this kind of like double pontoon boat that was literally straddled by like four rows of of just like park benches so picture like two pontoons with like a wooden floor built between them and they just literally just like shoving park benches. Yep, that's that's all it is. <laughs> and that's that. all they are today to this day. <laughs> and then they just put a fiberglass swan on the back. Yeah, so so back then, I guess he he and his wife uh saw a performance of Wagner's opera and I'm going to slaughter the name. Logerin, L O H E N G R I N. I I don't do German well. Uh, but apparently in this opera, there's a knight that rescues a damsel by crossing a river on the back of a swan. So then uh, he basically, the the way that the thing is propelled and steered is that it's literally there's like a bicycle with a chain that goes onto the propeller. So the person sits on the back on this bicycle and wheels a thing. And he kind of built out of wood like the swan to wrap around the driver so that way you did, just didn't see a guy like on a bicycle. Uh, over the years, they've expanded. They used to have four rows. Now I think there's like six or eight rows and it's slightly more modernized. But 
but yeah, that's so. I that's the only instance of like public swan boats that we can find. Um, I think later on it became a little bit more common. Like there were some paddle wheel style ones that are in Orlando at Lake Eola. Yep. But that was long, long after, uh, long after Disney and and long after this. How we've talked about Storyland, which is uh, opened in 1954 up in Glen, New Hampshire. Uh, and there's a, a, a well-known, uh, they, they have some little boat rides and stuff, but their swan boats are little electric ones, and uh, they're extremely slow. Um, and uh, you get about uh, five to ten minutes out uh, freewheeling around on, on one of the swans. So uh, it's definitely something I, I think there's more out there than um, than most people think. If you do a search on swan boats, you'll you'll find a number of places that have these little electric ones. Now. Nice. Uh and uh, the swan boats in Boston are still in operation today at the Public Garden. They run from April to September. And uh, go go up to Boston, everybody, and ride, a, ride an old swan boat. So uh, so that's the inspiration, we think. Um, and while it was probably intended to be an opening year attraction, something happened that delayed the swan boats for a couple of years. Um, now, now with, I think this because uh, Ted Linhart, you know, he acquired a, a nomenclature guide to the Magic Kingdom and the swan boats don't appear in that guide at all. Typically, you would see like the name of the attraction and like all the names of the boats listed out. It's not there at all. But other things that were supposed to be built in 1971, like the Tomorrowland Railroad Station, uh, are there. Um, what I think it might have been is all the park's watercraft at that time were made by a company called Morgan Yacht uh, in St. Petersburg, only like a half hour from my house. So it's possible that they were so overwhelmed by the work of making the Jungle Cruise boats and the Small World boats and all the, the watercraft on the lake and the Osceola-class steamers that it was just too much to try to do those too. So, you know, they had to build the steamers, the Jungle Cruise boats, the Small World boats, all of, all of the shuttles that go out on the the lake those little boats fairies the fairies yeah the so um there was a lot so they probably pushed off doing the swan boats because there's just so much to do it and and we know anecdotally that they got so far behind on the twenty thousand leagues under the sea submarines that they ended up moving those off to the tampa shipyards to complete those so they probably just hit a wall um now we also have some opening year documents that list out coming attractions and the years associated with them so the boats and the facilities were supposed to be ready by march of 1973 with the attraction opening in july of 1974 and it said that card walker was a huge driving force to have the swan boats open as quickly as possible i think he felt that the park really desperately needed more capacity and more rides so what's interesting is they actually uh they made the boats at Central Shops then, instead of jobbing it out to Morgan Yacht. Uh, and we actually have a photo of a prototype boat in the drained moat during the construction of Tomorrowland in 1971. Yeah, that's one of the coolest pictures because it has, uh, I believe, has some of the envelope attached to it, which is where pans can go. And it's all made out of um, plywood to simulate going through the bridges. It's really, really a cool photo. Yeah, it's very cool. So, so I mean, they were they were earnestly, you know, trying to work this out, you know, in '71. It just it just wasn't time. Um, so the official opening date was May twentieth of nineteen seventy three. Now there's a lot of back and forth about whether 
or not it actually opened before that and they made modifications and had to open it up again i think what we may have seen based on the fact that they were doing some prototyping is is that there were some boats out in the water that were probably shot my theory is like there were publicity shots made there was a lot of testing uh because there was a guidance system involved that we'll talk about so i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it that uh, that opening date is probably like the real opening date and anything that you would have seen before that was probably just publicity shots or testing to try to make the dumb thing work <laughs> um but still may 20th 1973 that's well over a year before the july 1974 date that was initially promised so apparently cardwalker really did light a fire under people and got this thing open a year ahead of time so each of each of the boats could carry 26 passengers um there was bench seating along both sides uh, like the outsides that would face in plus space for about two or three people in the front and the back of the boat um that also would sort of face like into the side so like the jungle cruise if you think about the way the jungle cruise is configured it's very similar where you kind of have to crane your neck around backwards in order to see what's going on um the shell of the boat was entirely fiberglass uh, including the integrated seats and then the seat backs on the two sides were made out of wood um now, one of the things that, that the people that worked on it, I, I know, were really proud about was there was actually real gold leaf on the crown that the swan boat had on and on its beak and like this little filigree on the wings. So there was there's a real deal there. Um, we know that there were 13 boats originally named after Disney characters. Now, the only two that we know for sure are Snow White and Maid Marian. Uh, and people have guessed that uh, the rest of them are probably named similarly to the storybook canal the storyboat storybook canal boats in disneyland but so far we don't have like a confirmed master list but um yep 13 boats and uh by the time the ride closed due to engine failures and things they were down to about six um the engines are pretty weird too so motors controlled two steering jets one in the front and one in the back and if you think about the friendship boats at epcot today they have some steering jets similar to this too so they can like just pull up next to the dock and then like cram it <laughs> like hard to the right instead of having to like steer really precisely even large large cruise ships have those now too oh, okay. for docking they okay. have, they have they, some of them have the rotating uh the their pontoons on the bottom if you will that are submerged with the with the propellers inside and then and those propellers can actually rotate a hundred uh, 360 degrees so that they can slide the ship in but there's a lot of boats now have that so exactly like you said they can kind of just push their sails yeah. right into the side, dock. side thrusters side thrust so, there we go thank yeah. you jt the nautical yeah, man yeah they're super loud too on most of the boats i've been on they're oh intense. really don't want to be down yeah. near the engine room yeah. so no it's just a scene <laughs> to watch that big thing go sideways it's really cool <laughs> so i wonder if this is one of the like earliest instances of the system in use or not uh, cool. All right. So as you said, the jets could rotate 360 degrees. So you, you could, in theory, like dock them very, you know, more easily. Um, so what you wanted to do if you wanted to dock the boat is you basically turn the jets towards the port side and then it would shove the, the thing starboard and into the dock. Um, on the control panel where the, the hostess would sit, and it was hostesses. So if you think of the time, it's like the Jungle Cruise was all guys these boats were all girls it had an entirely female like staff until the 1980s um, that one video online at the 80s has a, a dude yeah. running the, the tour yeah 
I and we'll get into why maybe that happened, but we'll, yeah. oh yeah. So, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> um, so there are these two little steering wheels up on the top, uh, and then there were actually like two throttles, like one for each of the jets. So you could control not only the direction but also the speed of of those jets individually, which is pretty weird. So. The really fascinating part of all this is something that I know I and some friends of mine had speculated about for years because we would walk over to where the swan boats ran and we would look down in the water and we'd see these kind of like two things in the water that were left over that we could never know exactly what they were. So what we know now is that Disney patented an electronic magnetic guidance system. And that there were two wires embedded in the concrete canal bed under the boats that were parallel to each other. So if you think of sort of like the line of where the bow would follow, there were two two lines that would run each side. So in theory, sort of how the the guidance wire worked mm-hmm. in the um, universe of energy. Oh, where it would, it would stray too far and bring back to the left and right. Yeah, exactly. So the boat would kind of stay like within the electrical field of this thing. And if it got too far to the one side, it would automatically, and we have video uh, you can see in some of our movies where the wheels start to turn themselves, which is really <laughs> creepy to try to line up. So yeah, the the concept is they would kind of stay within this thing and, and the boat would drive itself. So, so how this go coincides perfectly with something that we, uncovered when we restored the magic of Walt Disney World. Uh, I'll send you a link to the, to the film here. Um, there is an overhead shot of them flying through the plaza, and you can very clearly see about every two and a half, three feet, these little concrete blocks in the swan. Uh, mm. So that must have been where, where this you're talking about. So uh, we'll include the link here, but it basically starts around the uh, six, f- 650 mark uh, on the film or so. And um, you can you can clearly see this this these uh, you know concrete stanchions, if you will, uh, actually six forty four, and there's all these. Uh, so do you think those are, are what the guidance system was, or is this pre track? Take a look at it. Six fifty. So, so, it's very yeah. clear. So so what there is where the speculation comes in is there is some thought that there was an earlier guidance system that did not work and that this was sort of like in a what i know about was in a a second version to try to fix that we have to we're we're earnestly trying to track down someone who worked on the the attraction opening year to try to get some more information and hopefully if if that comes through it's like we we might oh very yeah interesting so that's this seems so early for this though that is that was that technology yeah the the magic of walt disney world was published in what 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 year was that made 70 72 and and now down there too you're you are in in ski country but this was also before then i mean now water ski slaloms courses they have like large magnets under the buoys you know you see the buoys out there how and they ski and stuff and that that syncs with the boat speed tracking systems i mean it's moved more to gps and stuff now but those huge magnets would be under there and i don't know if those white things are something like that like big hunks of iron or magnetic or well check this check this next shot out i'm going to give you send you guys here it's clear as the film progresses these white dots 
end and there is a boat up at one of the platforms almost like a test boat and look how random the yeah it's all over those oh yeah it's all yeah. over the place sorry that's strange you'll, you'll have to look at this in the show notes yeah huh it reminds me of like roller coaster tycoon when you make you'll have to watch the video on your own yes. canal when you <laughs> this is what it looks like it's got those buoys yeah so you know what we do know is that the system was not perfect uh in fact if if it was on a windy day the boat could get pushed so far you know out of the range of this thing that uh like there was no way for the thing to automatically compensate fast enough well it looks like although in that one you have what it looks like is it's trying to force it up next to the dock and then give (laughs) and and then give it a wider path to come out of the dock so that's yeah and you wonder if they made them apart so it did give the we'll say the disney illusion of it not just you know it could kind of like you said meander left and right a little bit yeah the thing is like i don't know why they just didn't put it on a track like the jungle cruise it's (laughs) like that's the one question was it for aesthetics because it's out there in the main main lagoon you didn't want a big track you know know, out there yeah maybe you know potentially the you know, we know the Jungle Cruise water is dyed, so that way it's it's a little bit more murky, and and this would have been clear. So maybe that's it, JT. Although, like I said, later on, you know, we would look down and see this stuff, and then like under the bridges, they would have some bumpers, so that way the boats would stay away from the edges of the bridges with a little extra help. You know, kind of this leftover flotsam and jetsam from the <laughs> from the old days. So. <laughs> Whoa, 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 wait a second, How Are you saying we're not actually on the Nile and the Amazon <laughs> on the Jungle Cruise? I am, I am not saying that. Okay. Yes, I'm, and I won't, I won't do the denial joke here either. So uh, what we heard from cast members is that uh, by the summer of the, the ride's final operation, that system had completely broken down, and the thing had to be driven completely manually. And I wonder, Oh, what a scene with the double wheels. Like some, some boss was just like, (laughs) that's awesome. So, and, uh, there were quotes from cast members, uh, that would say things like, I never had the spiel down because I was more consumed with keeping the boat straight and not breaking a swan's head off in one of the bridges. (laughs) So as you can, like, as you can imagine, like with this two jet thing, like that has to be tricky. If, if it was, done you know by a guidance system who cares but like if you had to do that manually that'd be (laughs) quite a feat and apparently it was done manually because occasionally when they would do photo shoots um and uh, every once in a while they would do balloon releases from them for like new year's eve and different things (laughs) so they would fill the boats up with balloons and then manually drive them out underneath the bridges and then wait until the time and then pull the thing out from underneath the bridge and like lift off the canopy like push all the balloons out and like have the balloons go oh off. wow yeah it's crazy crazy what you know it's it's such a like i say it's such a boring ride when i was like watching the videos I'm like this is it like and then like there's all these weird mysteries of course attached to it like it couldn't just come and go in peace it's got like some creepy tracking system and... yeah very weird um so the way that you would get on it originally there was a dock located in front of the ice cream parlor in Plaza Restaurant, um, which is today still there as an outdoor eating area. But that lasted only about a year or so. Um, and I don't even, we don't even know. Uh, actually, when you watch this Magic Wall Disney World video, you can actually see it there. It's got like a, a yellow and white striped canopy on it. By time the, the attraction actually 
officially opened, they didn't use that dock at all. Uh, and it got completely taken over as outdoor seating for the restaurant and ice cream parlor. Eventually became the smoking area, I think. Yeah. Until the plaza, impl- until the plaza was reworked. And then they built a new building on the other side of the water in the main part of the hub, uh, which is a very typical Victorian-looking structure with a metal roof, uh, very reminiscent of the popcorn stands and things there. And that's, yeah. that's the one that we all remember. But it's a very... It's a very odd place because at the first one, you have the backdrop of Main Street, USA, and you've got, you know, you're, you're taking a Victorian swan boat ride. Uh, and then this one, you've got Tomorrowland. You've got, what, the, 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 the eatery right in your back yeah. <laughs> behind you as you're viewing, yeah. you know, as you're boarding. So and it's it, very odd. And it was always officially part of Main Street. Even. Yeah. Yeah. So. Always called. They were called, what, the Plaza, the plaza, the plaza Swan Boats. The Swan Boats. Yeah. And that's because everything in that front area is that when you come off main street and then it splits out in those two directions, that is, and the hub that is called the plaza. So mm-hmm. that's the official technical term. So that's why you've got like the plaza restaurant and the plaza pavilion and the plaza, this and the plaza that it was, in fact, I think it was called like the plaza river or the plaza moat or something in, in early maps there. So, um, yeah, they're, they were plaza crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the trip would begin right there, uh, and then you would go clockwise around the moat. So you would go under, uh, at, it's not there anymore because of the refurb, but there used to be a bridge between the hub and Main Street. So you would go underneath that, and then go past the Crystal Palace, um, and then the bridge right past the Crystal, Crystal Palace and Adventureland. You would make a left-hand turn into Adventureland, and this is the part that's going to seem weird to everybody, so... Think about when you're walking through Adventureland and you're, you have like Skipper's Canteen on the right-hand side and you're kind of walk. If you stay on the left-hand side and you're kind of walking up to the Swiss Family Treehouse, right now there's just kind of like a bunch of like bushes and stuff on the left-hand side. That used to be clear-cut and you could look down to the canal there and your your boat actually used to travel parallel to that walkway in Adventureland and you would go down there and then go yeah. a- around completely around the Swiss family treehouse and a lot of times you're like why is the Swiss family treehouse on an island it's like well because the boats would actually do a 360 like underneath those the long bridge that you walk onto and walk out of the uh the treehouse you'd go all the way around the treehouse back out to the the bridge in Adventureland. And the reason that the Adventureland bridge has that high hump on it that would make that terrible sound with the strollers is because it had to be (laughs) tall enough for the boat to get under it. Then you go back around into the hub. uh, I should say into the moat, like in front of the Cinderella Castle. You'd go under that, that, uh, that bridge that like goes over the moat into Cinderella Castles. And then back around under the Tomorrowland Bridge, and then back to where you started out. That's uh, interesting. It was, the, the, it's so weird to go to me to go through Adventureland now and realize, like, you look down through that area now, and it's just like it's completely overgrown. You you with, you can't see any, and you know, I know that the trees were young back then and, and everything, but I think if they cleaned it up a little bit and 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 I don't know, it would just. I think they can open it up a little bit and give it a little more spacious feeling to it because it is very congested feeling, especially it around the treehouse. 
it used to be beautiful. I mean, we yeah. have photos of like, you know, there's, it's a lot of it is a little bit more barren, but there's like, there were flowers, there were tiki, tor- you know, gas powered tiki torches. Like it was gorgeous. Just, can you imagine going down and be able to like, just go on this little boat ride, like around the base of the treehouse? People would go crazy. I mean, people love the Wedway now. It's like, right, people right. would have loved this today. Yeah. Now, is that area behind the so the waterway is still there behind the swiss family robinson you just can't you just can't even see it yeah it's it's if you i think you might be able to see parts of it uh and and you can see a little bit of it And at one point they were using the a a bit of that roundabout for that the remote control boats yes yes where the stroller parking is now the buona bobs you could you could do the remote control boats for if you had yeah that thing took my money once What's interesting, I'm, I'm looking at the satellite view, too, and, and the sw- the original Swan Boat, you know, maintenance bay is still there, separated by a yeah. beam that, that's, that has the maintenance bay for the, uh, for the Jungle Cruise boats. And, yes. Uh, which is essentially behind Main Street USA, right behind the Emporium. It cr- it's, seems crazy that that stuff is it's still there. But like, what, I guess you really can't do anything with it. I mean... <laughs> I mean, you may as well use it for something, right? And I think there's like a probably it's probably turned into like a break room for the for the jungle cruise or something. Now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so so interesting. And then uh, I think the other thing they just want to mention is like, so what did what did you do or what did you hear? It's like as you were going around the thing. So they would basically spiel during uh, during the ride and sort of point out the different things uh, that you could see from the boat. So uh, we someone actually posted the 1979 spiel it's like six or seven pages on facebook so we grabbed it and i'll i'll make sure that we put that out so that way everyone can go through it you can memorize it (laughs) you can Mm -hmm. like run run your own at home if you want to um let me look real quick and just so they would point out things like uh let's see at the dock they'd say good morning ladies and gentlemen and welcome aboard the name of the boat my name is Cheryl, and I'll be your guide as we tour the Magic Kingdom's Island Plaza waterways. Uh, and then they would tell you, oh, here you go, Todd. To the, the area to my left is Tomorrowland, our world of the future. Several major corporations have worked with Walt Disney World to create many of the attractions found in Tomorrowland. In Montesano's America the Beautiful, which is a free attraction, you are swept off on a scenic tour across our nation while inside a 360-degree Circle Vision Theater. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? So yeah, so they they would basically <laughs> spiel you through like all the different things. You roller coaster lovers can take a real thrill ride on RCA Space Mountain. <laughs> so you know it's 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 very similar to what the People Mover was in getting yes. you excited uh-huh. about other attractions, bringing you in. You 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 know we talk about weenies, and that's exactly what it was, right? They 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 talk about Space Mountain weenie. You'd see the castle, you'd see the treehouse. So it was all pointing out the weenies that you're right next to. <laughs> yeah, I told you. I mean, everything. So, like, this this is actually... This one from Main Street is actually particularly well-written, I think. It says, Up ahead is Main Street, our nostalgic gateway to the Magic Kingdom. Main Street USA depicts America at the turn of the century, our nation at the crossroads of change, when gas lamps are giving way to electric lights and horse-drawn vehicles are making room for the newfangled horseless carriage. Uh, and it talks about uh, how actually talks about one of my favorite things the full service bank open until 4 p.m each day for your convenience <laughs> <laughs> hold on I, 
I got a chick right here. I'm gonna let me go get <laughs> that. Let me get, get that cashed. So yeah. So the, and then they would at the willow tree. Remember the the there's actually a very famous picture of like the swan boat next to the willow tree in front mm-hmm. of the Crystal Palace. They, they tell you that it was inspired by two actual structures: the Crystal Palace in New York City and the Conservatory at San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. So I don't, I don't even know if we know that. No, I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure if that one's out there. And uh, they would uh, tell you about entering the lush vegetation of Tomorrowland and how it was based after Walt's True Life Adventure film series. He said, you may dine in an old Caribbean village setting, shop in a bustling North African marketplace, and enjoy the steel drum band of JP and the Silver Stars. So you're right. They yeah. com- completely, uh, they'd even tell you facts about the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. That was made of fiberglass Six, and 60,000 leaves. Yeah. So Finally. They say 750,000 plastic leaves. There we go. So, yep. And, you know, you got what you wanted. You They wanted something that would take the crowds, you know, mm-hmm. uh, additional capacity. Um, you would entice people to utilize the rest of the tickets and buy a, oh, we don't have a D ticket. Let's get a D ticket and go on, yeah. you know, that other right. ride that we just saw. Yeah. So, and, and this was a time, you know, before people, you know, planned things out for, you know, six months ahead of time. Right. So actually having somebody kind of tell you, oh, like, oh, here's some things that might interest you to look at. It's probably helpful because otherwise you're just wandering around with a the map. There weren't even guidebooks back then, you know, in the early 70s. You had no idea what you were coming down and doing. You're exactly right. There's We always joke and you see people walking around with the maps in their hands. That was it. You 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 drove all this time, yeah. or you flew down. You didn't have any. So this was a, a kind of a way to get a lay of the lands, uh, you know. Exactly. And uh, and see it. So where did where did we meet the demise and the eventual, uh, yeah, you know, removal? Which I mean, it didn't last. What was it? A decade? That was about it's, it. Or right. Less so, than that? so it closed in exactly August, a decade. Yeah, of nineteen eighty three. Um, and there's a lot. You know, there's I was. Over the years, I've heard a lot of different speculation of like, oh, it was so busy, it like would back up people standing in the hub, and you couldn't get through, and it was a mess at parades, and potentially that was true during the early years. Um, I saw some some notes from cast members uh, that probably worked there in the late seventies like seventy nine and eighty and they were basically saying like they were doing everything in their power to try to get people to come down to the thing and ride it. Because by this time Space Mountain is open, you know, yeah, a big lot of more thrilling and, attractions and, are yeah. open. Right, exactly. So it, it is highly possible that it just wasn't getting right. They, they also anymore. said by the late seventies, it was running only seasonally. So they'd have it open in the summer. They'd have it open Easter week. They'd have oh. it open for Thanksgiving and Christmas week. It and, only ran seasonally from, yeah. from day one for, Oh, there you go. Yeah. Even there. So for, for whatever reason, and, and I can't remember if the, uh, if the Davy Crockett Explorer canoes were the same way where that was also a seasonal attraction. So, yeah, so I think it was one of those things. That was, like you said, it's a very low, fairly low capacity. By the 80s, half the fleet was taken out. The steering system, you know, was shot. So they would have had to probably spend a lot of time and money trying to, you know, figure out how to re- re-engineer a, a new system that would actually work to for, to do the boat guidance. And as as probably just the writing was on the wall at that point. And 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 they built all the the 
friendships at Central Shops too, didn't they? And, the, and they had all kinds of problems when they first brought, brought oh, yeah. those online. Maybe after that, they decided to stop building their own boats. <laughs> let's, let's stop doing that. We cannot talk about the swan boats without discussing the outfits that the swan boat drivers wore. Because, I, yeah, Todd, what do you think <laughs> that they look like? Because I'm not even sure how to describe them. Uh, I, not that I know much about this, but the first thing that comes to uh, my mind is is the the Japanese anime Sailor Moon. Yeah, which is some sort of I don't even know what she he is. I, I don't know what it is, but I just know it, it's a very nautical but bow tie ish kind of. I feel like I'm gonna go Stay Puff Marshmallow. Yeah, man. yeah, Stay that's Puff a good way too. Man, yeah, D- Donald that's Duck. It. Yeah, they have, they have on skirts. And then they have that sort of like nautical, like blue collar coming around the front with a like a striped dicky underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, like the red ties that come off of that. It's very neckerchief. You know, it actually yeah. re- it reminds me of what's his name from Scooby Doo as well. I mean, you Fred. know, yes. yeah. Fred. Yeah, Fred, yeah. <laughs> it's Fred and Scooby Doo. It's so. so weird. And then they have on these like knee high socks. Like knee-high white socks and then boat shoes, because it's slippery. <laughs> That's right. You of never know. There's boat you shoes. Know. What uh, what did they do for the men when they when they started to pilot? Were they just in like blue pants? Same. Same. <laughs> <laughs> they had to wear the skirt too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. The one shot that we saw of uh, he seemed to be in something that was more main streetish looking. So, yeah. That is. A, I feel like. I feel like. Is that the video you're talking about? Yeah. I feel like that guy. They just pulled him off of a, a jitney or something and said, "Look, we need you to cover, man. This guy's sick today. Just drive this thing." I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Very uh, interesting. Very. It's something. It's something. And I know JT did a little bit of research on the, where these boats, or at least some of the boats, ended up. So, uh, could you tell us about that, JT? Yeah, one of them, uh, it was Snow White Boat. Were they named? Yeah, so we, we they were named after di- different Disney characters. Okay, well, the Snow White one uh, turned up, I, I don't have the exact year, but it turned up without the swan on it. And they were kind of, you know, just like, wow, we found it, finally, great, cool, it's the only one we know of. And uh, But then in a different post I saw online, the, the swans appeared separately, like, just magically by themselves without a boat. So um, long story short, they connected the owner of the Snow White boat with somebody that owned one of the swans, which apparently all these swans were sold at auction backstage a number of years ago. And so the Snow White boat is reunited with its swan body and head and the full thing, and the guy is in the process of restoring it. Um, He's saying like he wants to bring it back to Disney for a 30th anniversary showing or take it to the Caribbean. So he was putting a diesel engine in it, the whole deal. Yeah. I think originally they ran, like the Jungle Cruise, they ran on natural gas engines, which is probably hard to get. (laughs) I don't know where one goes to get natural gas for boats these days. It's probably a lot easier just to pull up. At your your corner drugstore like Plutonium. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But yeah, so, so beloved by those who wrote it uh hated by those who didn't and the maintenance department <laughs> the plaza swan boats what's interesting you know i that when i was talking about how i was disappointed that Twenty Thousand leagues was uh, closed when i was there in 1980 
I didn't return till 86, so the swan boats were closed. There's no photos of us on the swan boats. There's no film of it. Uh, I'm wondering if it was closed as well, because I know my grandfather loving it would have oh, yeah. <laughs> would have had us on there, and we did not return to 86. He only wrote it in the 70s. So I'm wondering if it was down at that time. What um, um, Well, what time of the year did you... It was October. So it it usually was open just in the summertime. So unless you were there on a particularly busy week, it might have just been closed. So it was a heat wave, and it hit a record that week that we were there. (laughs) Ah, Florida. Yes. Yeah, you're coming up now to to your winter. You'll be indoors while we come out from hibernation. That's that's right. So, yeah, so I don't know if I wrote it. I'm going to assume not, but... uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there have some great memories. As how indicated, we've been doing some research and trying to reach some individuals uh, out there that uh, worked on the attraction and, and piloted the boat. So hopefully we can get them on uh, in future episodes. All right. So, guys, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, how we, we had a you had an idea here for a, a T-shirt. Uh, so maybe you'll make that come through Uh as we were talking here, I, I we've got a sale going on, so I, I ordered a couple shirts while we were chatting here. But um, how you added another uh, B Jones Farm came in this this way that you surprised us. Yeah, just I, you know, I think the other one was a uh, you know was sort of reproduction of of what's on the uh, the mailbox, right? But uh, so so I wanted to take a different tact because I, I love the B Jones Farm things, but the mailbox isn't for everybody. So this is kind of like a like a logo emblem of of the uh the b jones farm still has the, a chicken on it because the chicken's chickens. awesome yeah the chicken's <laughs> awesome and, and you guys will expect this from me i really when you put that shirt out you know i looked at it, like okay cool i'm not gonna buy that one i don't know what it is and i didn't realize what it was until i rode the ride one day and i go wait a second now i get it <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it's it's a it's definitely a cool one yeah a lot of them brought the slow burn it's like you yep uh-huh. one day it just yep. hits you yep I kind of like it. So I'm sure Hal will surprise us as always with some uh, additional designs. And uh, and uh, if you again, if you follow us on Twitter and Facebook, keep an eye out. Uh, we have our shirts made with T Public. They spring it on us. They don't tell us what's going on. All of a sudden, we get hey, there's an email. There's we're running a sale for three days or four days, thirty percent off. So follow us. We'll let you know. Uh, you generally don't even need coupons. You can get all the T-shirts for fourteen bucks, and even the stickers go on sale for a couple bucks each as well. So really cool stuff. So and again, all proceeds that we make go directly into keeping the show on the air, running the web server, allowing us to buy films, and everything. It's good. It's it's going to go to my scuba classes because I'm going to go under there and see if that that wire's still in the <laughs> moat. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of films, we, we have quite a few actually that are queued up. We released a lot, but, uh, Brian and I have uh, previewed most of these. Uh, we've got one that, uh, takes us back to a, a very, very young resort, which is pretty neat. We have some promotional material, um, and some other cool things coming up as well as a great view of America on parade. You thought you saw the best of America on parade. Uh, Brian, don't you agree? I mean, it's, not that you want to see those creepy, creepy mannequins again, but don't you think this is the best shot I think we've ever yeah, had? The best amateur, you know, might even be better than Disney's souvenir film. I mean, yeah. where this guy positioned himself and the way he shot each float is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And he did it twice in his trip. The second one is by far the, the better one. So a lot of good stuff, some videotapes coming up. So keep your eyes out for that as well. All right. Well, guys, uh, we need to kind of figure out where we want to go next month. 
I know we're going to hit Communicore West in the summer, um, and uh, the travel season is coming up. I had an idea. I, I think it's about time we, we took a ride on a railroad, but not one that you would expect. I think it's time uh, to go back and uh, see how Art and Linda are doing over in Fort Wilderness on the Fort Wilderness Railroad. What do you guys think about that? Choo-choo. Awesome. Choo-choo. All aboard. <laughs> there we go. So that's what we're going to do next month in episode 41 will be the Fort Wilderness Railroad. And some of you listeners out there may be going, there was a railroad at Fort Wilderness? And absolutely there was. And we're even going to be able to tell you where you can go see some of the remnants that are still there today. Uh, whether or not you want to go into the woods is up to you. But there's some easy ones that you can you can go and check out, which is pretty cool, which we did uh, a couple of years ago. Two years ago, I went down there and took a, took a look at some of the spots. So... We'll take you back to the Fort Wilderness Railroad next month. Uh, and with that, we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, if you have a review, please send it into iTunes. Give us a shout out anywhere on Twitter, uh, Facebook. And if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to email us at podcast at retrowdw.com. We've been getting a lot of letters and emails. It's, it's awesome. We try to get back to everybody uh, as quickly as we can and um, really appreciate your feedback. So, With that said, we'll talk to you next month. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. (laughs) 